Season 2 of the Strange, Rare, and Peculiar podcast, a place to learn more about homeopathy, deepening your knowledge, expanding your universe of possibility in the world of health and well-being through homeopathy. Homeo what? Homeo what? Hello. Good evening, good morning. Hello. And good afternoon. It's just on noon here. It's noon. And there are no beverages. We are a beverage-free zone. What are we going to talk about if there's no- <laughs> <laughs> We just went. We just spent an hour at our local cafe. Mm-mm. Every time we do, I love my neighborhood even more. It was pretty good. It was really I'm good. I'm a fan of the cordado. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that very, very healthy snack. I had a chai. They have nothing gluten-free. They told me, though, that I could bring my own bread. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't mind, actually, you know? I might just do that. Bring your own coffee, bring your own everything. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Autoimmunity. Oh, uh, why are we talking about that old horny goat again? Horny goat? I think I'm mixing my metaphors. What I meant to say was... We could get, um, what do you call it, um, censored. They might censor that. Yeah, right. Sorry, I didn't actually mean it to come out like that. What I meant to say <laughs> was that I think hoary... Um, uh, oh yeah, that's better. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, a, a thorny issue. H O A R. Yeah, a hoary like, issue or a thorny issue, but mm-hmm. that came out as a horny goat. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should delve no further. Let's not that. go anything no. anywhere. All right, so autoimmunity it is, and I yeah. like this because um, it seems to be on your mind. Yeah, it is indeed. I've been busy. Why? Well, because the Florida Homeopathic Society Conference is coming up at the time of this recording. Uh, it's two weeks. Mm-hmm. Two weeks from today is the welcome dinner. Wow. Yeah. That's excitement. Two weeks from today. Uh-huh. Are you prepared? I am prepared. See? Um, Good. With, but it's, you know, when you do a seminar, so for those... Um, who might be thinking about it, interested, or wanting to come? It's um, it's kind of an old school seminar style where it's just one presenter, in this case me, for two days, um, which is amazing because so many of the conferences now, I think with you know with all the online platforms, all it's like get as many people as you can, and everybody does an hour and a half, and you don't get a chance to dive in as deeply. Oh, there's no opportunity. It's funny you it's should really say old school because over the years. You know, I have going, I think, back to maybe the late 90s. You know, I was doing one or two-day seminars. Yeah. And and it seemed to be the way in which national associations or professional associations engaged with their their members. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it kind of turned into, it it, it, it turns into a social event. It's the glue in the community. Right. And there's a speaker, you know, yeah. a beloved speaker. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, it's it's interesting that they seem to be happening less and less. Right. And I used to love those. I can't remember the last time I went to one. Mm. Um, well, numbers have definitely, you know, reduced. It's changed, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So I, I'm excited that I get to do this. It's a format that I oh, really fantastic. like. Yeah. yeah. So I've got 16 hours of curriculum. What are you, you going to do, sing? Are you going to do any singing? I'm going to sing. I'm going to do some singing, some dancing. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to bust out a couple of moves. <laughs> it's going to be good. I'm going to cut hair. I'm going <laughs> to... I don't know why that. 
No one would ever want me to cut their hair. But remember the time you cut my hair during the pandemic? Yeah, desperate times. It was really desperate times. Anyway, so it's um, she's not so going to sing topic, or dance. By the not going to sing, dance, or cut hair. Um, it's it's um, all about autoimmunity. And you know, actually, what what was really um, uh, good timing was that uh, the autoimmune block is happening now in our in our part time year four cohort. So in semester four at AHE. There's the the last semester is all about complex case management, more complicated pathology, how to approach cases that are you know complex in nature, and of course autoimmunity is the is the top banana in that department, and and so I think one of the reasons that I really um, like teaching about autoimmunity is that well number one it's it's the biggest thing we face in the world today in terms of disease process. Number two, the medical system is absolutely not equipped to handle it because of the way that it's configured, right? Based on sort of single system pathology, end stage pathology, the sort of the, ne- the necrotic end of the, of the stick. Whereas autoimmunity is typically multisystemic and and requires a, a different type of intervention, and that makes it sort of a confounding situation in the medical system. And and I think what so that means that people come to the homeopath because you know the options for many of the autoimmune conditions involve either heavy duty steroids, or you know immunomodulators, or you know basically turning off the immune system, which. I think is super helpful in a state of really acute inflammation when somebody is really super challenged, but it's mm-hmm. not a long-term solution. And now that we see so many kids being diagnosed with autoimmune diseases, we've got a whole, you know, a whole different game to play because the prospect of, you know, a three-year-old diagnosed with Crohn's disease being on an immunosuppressant throughout their life presents a lot, a lot of challenges. And I don't know that we really have the clinical data to be able to look at the long-term effects of immunosuppression on a developing human, especially a prepubescent human, right? So there are all kinds of, you know, confounding factors and problems involved. And then the other side of it, why I love it so much is because the way to understand treating autoimmune conditions with homeopathy revolves around Hahnemann's chronic diseases. And that's my jam. And so that's that's basically the you know how it's kind of the 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 nugget no it's not the nugget it's like the glue that holds the the weekend together. So you're not it's, going to be talking <clears throat> about the lanthanides. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, that made me really laugh. I know. I have no so prejudice. Easy. I know. I really am. You're so easy. I have no prejudice against the lanthanides, but we did. The reason that I that I barked out with laughter is because we had um, Al and I presented at. Uh, the Joint American Homeopathy Conference, also known as the Jack. The Jack. Yeah. Um, back in, what year was that? Like 2017? Uh, I'm going to say 17. 2017. Mm-hmm. And we did, a, we did a presentation on autoimmunity. And that year, um, there, was a, there were a lot of naturopaths that attended the conference. It was sort of geared toward, I think they had some like really good uh, naturopath speakers. Wasn't Stephen Meisner there? Somebody like, I can't remember. There were, anyway, so we did a thing on on um, kind of an integrative approach to autoimmunity and that it's not a one-and-done phenomenon. In other words, you don't give 
you don't find a magic pill and the person gets out of their wheelchair and runs up to hug you. It's, you know, there, there are a whole lot, there's a whole lot that goes into it. And, and apparently the person who spoke either right before or right after us in the very same room, we didn't, we didn't see the talk, apparently gave a presentation on give one secret lanthanide remedy and they all run from their wheelchairs. And, yes. and so she then found us later that, that evening when we were with our team, we're sitting there, you know, having drinks, celebrating a great conference day, having fun together. And this woman sits down right in between Al and I and starts saying, well, you know, if I heard it takes your cases X number of years to resolve and da 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 da, and I can do it in whatever. And we were just sitting there like, what do you say? What do you, what do you really say to that? What do you say? I think she thought we should take her course. Oh, I see. Fair enough. Anyway. But I, um, I hear that um, you've got a link, or there is some relationship between Hahnemann's theory of chronic disease, Sora, yeah. and autoimmunity. I mean, that's really the lens, you know? Because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, well, there, there are actually a number of things. I'm, I'm really excited about this. The seminar, I have to say. Well, I think I, I, um, when I've, because I've been listening to you now for the last eight weeks, ten weeks, <laughs> whatever it is, as you've been preparing for this, and I, my ears have pricked up on a number of occasions because you are making connections that um, uh, are oft not made, and in a, in a world where people are looking for solutions and often simple ones. Mm. You're uh, reminding us that the solution, or if there is a solution, then it is not to run away from Hahnemannian homeopathy. Right, exactly. But to run towards it because of the link between Sora and And AI. Yeah, AD. I've started to abbreviate AD, autoimmune disease, instead of AI, autoimmunity, just because AI, well, AI is also because it gets artificial confusing. intelligence. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. And I, I actually, I think I left an unfinished thought, yeah, which was about the conference in 2017 in naturopathy, because one of the things that we did was we looked at, you know, if you're taking an integrative approach, there's a whole lot of healing that has to be done. So the homeopathic remedy... It, it's it's great, but there's also the assist that needs to happen by taking the strain off the vital force, making sure that the that's critical. Just really go through cr- those really, you know, th- th- just stop right there because removing the 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 weight, yeah, that the person with the chronic condition that is turning in on yeah. oneself, yeah, removing the weight, the bag of bricks, the the history, the yeah. all of that stuff. It's huge. It is massive, and it's, a, a, from what I've seen, a really critical part of your work. How do you go about that with your clients? How do you take the weight off? Oh, and put the weight right on me. Oh, I didn't know where you were going. I like that. So, if you're not familiar Road with... Road into Nazareth. Sally's coming up in this song. Feeling about yeah. half-past dead. <laughs> I'll just leave it there, folks. <laughs> But it's good because you finally got that Sinead O'Connor song out of my oh head. My goodness! <laughs> Our Friday, we have a Friday playlist that we that we we play every Friday, and mm-hmm. um, and there's this one song that's a a song from a New Zealand band from the '90s. Oh, I'd the, say Dominion Road. Yeah, well, the Muttonbirds. The Muttonbirds is the band, and they they and they Don McGlashan, who is the. Uh, the lead is also, I think he was in a band called Blam, Blam, Blam. <laughs> and 
over the years, yeah. like he's an institution, is and he? over the years has you know written a couple of anthems, and one of them being Dominion Road, which is the song that we've been obsessed with now for years. We listen to it all the time, and and Every one of my Friday. kids said, "Yeah, it sounds like the theme from Friends." <laughs> and once he said it, it was like, "Oh yeah, actually it does." But um, anyway, here we go again. Back to the point. Um, and how do you lift the weight? How do you lift the weight? And it's you know Hahnemann is really clear about it. And in and actually I'm gonna I, I brought out some of the um, stats that we put together for that um, conference and and the subsequent course that we taught. We did an eight week course on autoimmunity back in 2017. And and we looked through we went through the organon and chronic diseases and we we just pulled out all the ways in which Hahnemann is really clear that in order to heal deep chronic disease, you have to remove the obstacles and you have to make modifications to lifestyle and regimen in order to be able to do it. You know? And so you're saying that AI, um, AD cases yeah. are, are cases full of obstacles, I mean, multi-systemic and full of obstacles. Yeah. Now that's the way that I used to teach it. And I still believe that to be true. But what's really been interesting, because I, I did a ton of research in preparation for this. I kind of couldn't stop. Mm. So I have been combing through peer-reviewed articles in medical journals, in, you know, all of the sort of bioreductionistic places where autoimmunity is being studied. And it's been really compelling to look at the trends in autoimmune disease. And and the thing that the thing that's different about the way that I'm approaching this topic now is it's it's kind of moved beyond kind of our old friends in autoimmunity like Hashimoto's and rheumatoid arthritis and MS and lupus and so forth and Sjogren's, even though I'm, I'm teaching a case that's got RA and Sjogren's and so forth. But but the rest of the cases are are sort of these complex autoimmune profiles. And what's been interesting, and I was saying that sort of time smiled upon me because I just taught autoimmunity in uh, I'm in the middle of that block with the um, fourth year part-time students. And what, what's really compelling now is to see that causation, what, well, actually, let me say it a different way. There, there are a couple things. One is a lot of the sort of newer autoimmune conditions. And when I say newer, I mean, we're sort of seeing patterns that are we're seeing a lot of them. So mm. something like pans and pandas, right? So, um, it, you know, that is the diagnosis of pandas would be in kids, pans would be a broader um, uh, broader spectrum, but also alpha-gal syndrome. So that is the, the um, allergy, severe allergies to mammalian products. Um, so if you, and looking at Lyme disease and all the things around it, it there's, there is a perceived antagonist. There's a causative factor. So in, in pandas, for example, group A strep. In Lyme disease, tick, right? In alpha-gal syndrome, a tick or another unnamed parasite. And so what's been really interesting is to look at the cases over the years and to see that these autoimmune diseases that are considered to have a known vector of transmission now happen without a known vector. So you see people with Lyme disease without actually a known tick bite. And for a long time, we looked at it and we said, oh, well, sometimes you just don't see it. Sometimes you don't get the primary you know, expression of the disease with the bullseye rash and so forth. And the tests are inconclusive at best, right? You get false positives, false negatives. Okay, 
fair enough. But now we're seeing, okay, alpha-gal syndrome is said to be caused by a tick, but maybe it isn't a tick. Maybe it's a parasite. Maybe it isn't a parasite. And then when you go deeper into looking into alpha-gal, which I think was first um, uh, categorized in Australia in the early 2000s and now is... Mm, I had my two, first case in the 90s. In the in 90s. Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so this... Late 90s. Late 90s. Okay. So now people are just having an idiopathic mast cell activation response. In other words, there so mast cell activation syndrome is sort of anaphylaxis and all of the associated allergic responses, right, that come from the mast cells being overstimulated, which usually comes from an allergen, something that is going to, you know, stimulate that response. But now it's like idiopathic. In other words, we have no idea what causes it. So so what what I've been tracing is sort of the removal of causation that is like people are just getting these syndromes without sort of, there's no clear cause. And and the statistical tracking that I've been doing of the sort of the numbers of autoimmune diseases and, and the ways in which they are presenting themselves in the general population, I mean, it's 75% women. It's, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's yep. the endocrine factors are really huge, but it's, but what is happening is that as we now are realizing that a vector of transmission cannot be positively identified, well, then we're looking at Sora. You know what I mean? Like, there, it's just develop Sora as the answer. From classical um, chronic disease theory. Totally. Yeah. So Hahnemann's, um, Hahnemann, you know, had his initial four principled ideas around homeopathy that evolved over time, of course. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the conference as well, just to get everybody sort of in the same place. But, you know, Hahnemann starts with one remedy at a time for the largest totality of symptoms that can be perceived, you know, prescribed according to similarity and give the minimum dose of the remedy needed to get an, get a response. But, you know, that's first organ on 1810. Well, when the first... Um, uh, Sorry, my head is in autoimmunity. Go back to the first, what is the 1796? Yeah, essay on a new principle. Yeah, essay on a new principle. Thank you. Um, so go forward from 1796, get, you know, and then first organ on in 1810, then he gets to 1816, and he's like, hang on a second. Mm. There is a, there's something bigger than mm. this. Mm. There's, some, there's a bigger principle involved, and he says, I'll be back, you know, from 1816 to 1828. What do you think you went? Uh, he went up in the attic. I think, um, <laughs> well, that's the answer I have as well. Yeah. What do you but think it, he did up there? Well, I mean, he did a lot of things up there. And I think he was going through all of the materials that he had acquired. I love it. That's exactly years. what he did. Yeah. He, he sure went through did. all of his cases. Not just his cases. And he went through the provings. Re looked at the provings. No, it's way more than that because we don't have proving information for a lot of the information in chronic diseases. Oh, well, that's right? okay. No. So I think that what he did was he went back through all the information that he had gathered over the years. I mean, this is where the Transylvania years come into play, right? What do you think Henrietta did? <laughs> Henrietta, Henrietta, jo- Henrietta Johanna being his first wife before he became a cougar. <laughs> I think she brought him cups of tea. <laughs> Hello, Although darling. Maybe not. Hello, darling. How's your work going? Watered down ale and mutton. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I think he was really reconsidering, and this is where, 
you know, the, so the final segment, unless I change the order of how I'm delivering the seminar, but the final segment is on Hahnemann the Alchemist mm. and really looking at the larger concepts that Hahnemann drew into, you know, the development of this medicine. And so, you know, so really some of the tensions in the, in the seminar will be between bioreductionism. In other words, locking everything down to its most causative, you know, factor versus a holistic approach. Why why do you think that some of the other homeopathy adjacent approaches to AD mm-hmm. are so allopathic? Oh my gosh, they're totally allopathic. I mean it it it's actually it's wild. It's kind of bewildering. It's totally bewildering. I mean, homeopathy has finally entered the germ age. You know, everybody's obsessed with the germ age. And you know, I, there's a part of um, this talk where I talk about homeodetox and I just, I mean, it makes zero sense. And I, I, it makes zero sense to me. Anyway, and detoxing for people who have complex autoimmunity is contraindicated mm. because they don't have the, mm. you know, they don't have the pathways for um, excretion. Mm. And so, you know, you can wind up getting people with, you know, clogged up lymph causing more problems. You, you know, I mean, I've seen more, I've seen more, um, the cases where people have done rogue homeopathy, you know, whether it be homeodetox, the protocols, or even doing chelation and other things like that, where they are over, they are over detoxing, they're over stimulating an already maxed out vital force. And a lot of the times it's folks who really don't understand the power of the tools that they're wielding that this wind up, winds up happening, mm-hmm. you know? And, and actually, if I might add another thing, because, you know, and I, and I hate to give away all the, you know. No, 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 don't. No, no, no. Keep, keep the secrets. Keep the secrets because I want people to come to it. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. No, but seriously, though, one of, you know, when you think about if 75% of the people who are suffering with autoimmunity are, are women or, you know, then what you're looking at is the female endocrine system, which, of course, is going to be challenged because of what it needs to go through every month and then the major hormonal changes of, you know, menarche, pregnancy, menopause, and then the monthly, you know, cyclical shifts in the endocrine system. And when you start to think about it that way, and you start to see the statistics of, you know, the different diseases and how they are, the different autoimmune conditions and how they're manifesting, then you start to see that when you, like some of the cases that I've seen that have been really challenged are people who are using sort of like fertility protocols and, you know, all of those sort of superficial use of dynamic substances that the people have fertility issues to begin with because of their deeper endocrine and autoimmune condition. So to throw into that mix, just, I I don't even know how to describe it, but, you know, throwing a lot of um, uh, endocrine-oriented remedies. I don't want to get too deep for this conversation, but anyway, suffice it to say that Hahnemann's theory of chronic disease asks the bigger questions. The superficial use of homeopathic remedies, or I should say substances and potency, because then they're not being used according to homeopathic principles, can cause problems. Mm. And, and you know, given that that's what I mostly see in my practice, it's really clear that when people have monkeyed around with that stuff, it just makes it more difficult to get the case back on track. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a 24th, 21st century confounding problem we didn't have before. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. No, fascinating. And um, so uh, can I come? (laughs) 
Of course. Oh, good. I'm expecting you there. <laughs> the, the conference is actually taking place in Orlando. Um, is it a conference or a seminar? Uh, a seminar. Yeah. I, I guess we could call it either one. Mm. But um, it's taking place in Orlando. And um, yeah, so we will be there. And, and some of our... Some of our dear friends will be there, which is going to be fun. Some of our mates. That's going to be really, really great. So what else do you want to say, though, about, uh, you know, your... Because this is not only your own clinical approach, but it's your research that you've been doing. You've not only been researching... I suppose you've been researching historically your own cases and looking at those um, and coming to some conclusions and, you know, learning from successes and learning from failures. Yeah. Um, but you've also been. I've seen you've been deep in the in the uh, orthodox medical literature. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things. You know, once you, you sort of you you know better, you do better. And um, you know, one of the things that you and I have both been doing is upping our game in anything that we're teaching in homeopathy to make sure that you know we're getting our students to document their source materials and so forth. And and I think it's just really key. And so. Although I've been teaching courses in autoimmunity for a long time, and I had, you know, I had good statistics from, you know, say the in autoimmunity, the, you know, um, the AARDA, which is the um, American Association of Autoimmune Related Diseases, something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. they are they're sort of the clearinghouse for that information. But uh, you know, then it occurred to me, well, where are they getting their information? And making sure that I'm going to the various, you know kind of niches in research so that I can, you know, bring that information into, um, into the, into my teaching. And actually it's been amazing. Well, first of all, because, you know, it's, it's, there's such, um, I love confirmation bias. <laughs> I really love that. I'm finding exactly I what I need. I think homeopaths would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's so satisfying to go up. Oh, here's another one. <laughs> there's another one, you know, and goes right back to Sora. And I just give myself a little pat on the back and turn to my little Hahnemann statue in my office and have a little laugh. Um, no, but seriously, but some of the things that have been really interesting and, and actually one of the, I think one of the most um, sort of surprising, not surprising things that I found is I've been just researching the medications that are being used now. Mm. Um, and I kind of got there because I was... Um, I was studying pans and pandas when we were in Italy. And, you know, when you are whatever, um, uh, what do you call it? Like the VPN of wherever you are Mm -hmm. dictates the information that you get. And I wound up getting different data than I had seen before. And I got the international treatment guidelines for a number of conditions that I didn't have before. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. That was really that was really fun. Anyway, but what I've been doing is I've been going and looking at what are the most common interventions that are being used um, for you know treatment of certain things. So, for example, one of the cases that I'm presenting is of a kid who was diagnosed with Crohn's at three years old, and who subsequently um, developed symptoms that are a hundred percent connected to pandas. Although was not given a pandas diagnosis, um, but you know when I present the case, it's really clear, you know, sudden onset, after group A strep, blah, 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 all the, you know, all the things. And one of the medications that he was given is something called 6MP. That's the shorthand name. And I went through and looked at, well, what is it used for and how did it come into play? Did the same thing for other diagnoses, like what are the drugs that are used in pandas? And when you start looking at the off-label prescribing, 
right, for these drugs, you find the disease pattern. Students will often ask questions like, how do you know sort of the organ system progression of disease that comes after suppression? <laughs> right? It's a great question. It really is. Because, you know, we have the obvious one, skin, lung, gut, and brain, right? So if somebody has eczema that is successfully <clears throat> cured with a topical steroid, you can expect the inhaler to come later. And the American Academy of Pediatrics acknowledges eczema and asthma as concomitant diseases. Homeopaths see it as one gets suppressed and the other one comes out, right? Okay. And so when you start looking at these drugs, you look at Crohn's drugs and you see that some of these drugs are used, they have an off-label use for um, severe um, uh, atopic eczema in children, right? So you've got you know, gut, a gut disease. So you've got skin and gut connection, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you can just see by going through all of the off-label uses how, you know, these doctors who are searching for relief for their patients have found that these drugs in their scope of action have a progression of disease. So that might be something that's more superficial all the way down to the deepest level of organ you know, compromise, mm. which is fascinating because it just, it's, it's, it's as if looking at it the way we look at a homeopathic medicine, right? When you look at a homeopathic medicine, you look at approving, it does a lot of things. Well, if it's a, you know, if it's a remedy that has a capacity for deep acting, you know, broad scope cure. So you look at an antihistoric remedy and you see all the different organ systems that it effects, right? And it's the same thing with an allopathic medicine, except that it's it because of the way that the drug regulations work, it's got its sphere of action, and then everything else is considered a side effect, right? So, I mean, I just, I found that to be really fascinating. So I'll present some of that as well. I've got, as it stands now, I'm presenting four cases. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And they all represent a different perspective on autoimmunity and they show how the, you know there's this there's this um, I was going to say idea but there is a fact within autoimmunity if you have one you are you know 20% more likely to have one or more mm. autoimmune diseases and then when you start to see what are some of the factors that you see in a person's history that make it so that they are going to be likely to have an autoimmune disease right so i've got a case of a person who um, it was one of our um, clinic cases at AEG, um, a woman who was diagnosed with alpha-gal, well, who was experiencing the horrific, you know, expression of alpha-gal syndrome. And then you look at her history, mold, uh, Epstein-Barr, mono, you know, all when the When you things. say mold, you mean reaction to... Reaction to, to yeah. mold. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, another case, the kid I mentioned with um, Crohn's and um, uh, pandas. Um, I've got a case of a woman with rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's and her case was, and she had exposure to toxins and everything was exacerbated during her um, pregnancy and postpartum. And, oh, another one, actually, this case I teach at AG, um, a woman who had Lyme disease um, as her primary complaint, um, then had, you know, a raft of other things, but um, everything exacerbated by trauma in her early life. So mm. we're also going to look at um, ACEs scores, and it's ACE, the ACEs score has to do with um, the effects of trauma. And um, and I'm going to present some studies on how um, P 
people, there was a, a, a longitudinal study done in California that was amazing that tracked um, folks in a particular healthcare system. Um, there, they did the ACEs quiz determined their ACEs score, and then looked at these folks over time for the development of autoimmune conditions and amount of hospitalization. Fascinating study. And it just, I mean, it shows the things that we understand in homeopathy, that stress, you know, it can impact um, our disease state, right? And then, and also then looking at um, the microbiome you know, and sort of looking at how the allopaths have kind of separated the different ways in which autoimmune disease pathways progress, and then kind of tying it into how we as homeopaths look at it, right? So I've kind of narrowed it down to it's either endocrine or on the gut, you know, and and microbiome, but then looking at the microbiome in a more holistic way. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So what are the stats in terms of, uh, a population of a Western country, let's say this one, mm-hmm. how many folks have a AD? Oh, uh, you know, it's really, it's kind of amazing because there are, it's calculated in different ways, right? Because the CDC can only really consider diseases that there is good epidemiological data tying it to an aberration in the immune system. Right. So they name like 24 diseases or something. The AARDA, on the other hand, says, oh, it's like 120 diseases and climbing, because the more we learn, the more we recognize that. What's the, an example of one that is of a named condition that's classified auto, autoimmune AD in one, but not in the other? Well, depression. I got it. Yeah. Wow. Um, autism. Yeah. Right? Allergies, food allergies. And yeah. the stats on food allergies are astonishing. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the food. It's F-A-R-E is the acronym. I forget food allergy research something. I don't know what the E is. But I've been waiting because they hadn't updated their stats in a while. And some of them are still not updated. But, oh, my gosh, the explosion in food allergies, right? In the, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So anyway, so the stats like 50 million Americans, have an auto have one or more autoimmune diseases, yeah. you know, and so if you look at that compared to cancer and heart disease, right, and then, you know, there there's no common language for this because it's kind of a new way to look at disease, right? So some people will say it's autoimmunity, some people will say it's an inflammatory process, immunomodulate. I mean, there are all these different terms, and so that means that the numbers are not, they're not going to be representative of the actual. Impact. Yeah. So the reality of these conditions, the in-your-face reality on a daily basis for a general practitioner or for specialists, medical specialists, mean that uh, orthodox medicine is kind of being dro- driven to a more integrative and holistic yes. understanding. Yeah. At, at the same time, am I right? Yeah. Where complementary medicine practitioners including homeopaths... Are getting more bioreductionistic. Are becoming more bioreductionistic. Yeah. Look at... I mean, there's nothing Let's more... Let's give a, a but, remedy for this bit. Let's give a remedy for yeah. this bit. Let's give a protocol for that bit. Yeah. Well, and look at, like, the functional medicine folks. Right. right. So the AlphaGal case that I'm going to teach, this woman, she tanked after seeing a functional medicine doc who gave her a whole bunch of supplements, each of which had some mammalian product in the supplement. 
Oh. So she had 11 supplements to take. And on day five, she had a complete, I can't remember if, if she had a, like a cytokine storm or whatever. She just totally went into. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they're coming about it, honestly. No question about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's so much that is unknown. And I found as I did my, you know, went into these rabbit holes of reductionism, you know, every every article that I read in the conclusion says, you know what, we really don't know. We understand five to ten percent of the, you know, yeah. the genetic component of this and, you know, the confounding factors regarding lifestyle, da 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 make it impossible to know more studies are needed. Well, at the end of the day, you know, Hahnemann already figured it out. But, but the thing is, you can't do it without understanding the complexities of homeopathy. Like, how can we can contribute? How can, uh, how can homeopaths, you know, and, uh, those folks that are doing individualized homeopathy can contribute? Can, can we, how, do we, how do we help? How do we contribute? How do we collect data? How can we crunch that data? PGRN. <laughs> well, is it because is it, I, I wonder if it's that actually that simple? Because I mean, we have to because you know this is the thing, and we the medical system, right, is not set up to deal with this, and and the amount of infrastructure in the current medical system, it's like it's a behemoth. How do you pick apart the Rube Goldberg machine that is, you know? You know, going to the doctor to get a diagnosis, like I cover all the statistics on that, like how long it takes, how many doctors people have to go to before somebody finally gives them a name for their suffering, you know, because it's, right. I mean, think about old, oops, old school diagnoses of something like lupus. It was a diagnosis of exclusion mm. or inclusion, actually, if you had five or more or whatever symptoms, you know, have a butterfly rash, have this, that, and the other thing. So... What do you do? Like, how do people actually get care? And if it's 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 so complex that the patients are leaving the the sort of standard medical marketplace and having to look outside of it for yeah. care, mm. right? I mean, the the number of times that I've had people come to me who have some sort of ulcerative bowel condition. And they say that their gastroenterologist told them that it didn't matter what they ate. Right. How is that possible? It's a tube. Do you know what I mean? Like, you put the food in and it comes out the other end and somewhere along the way there's a problem. You must be thinking about that. But but if you think about it... That's like, hilarious. But no. Right. I mean, if I'm a reductionist... Yeah. You know, and if, I've, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a reductionist and... And I'm good with with reductionistic nails, then, or or the hammer, or whatever the analogy is. Then, <laughs> right, I'm not interested in the what goes on at the dental end of things. I'm interested in the how it comes out the other end, or where well, it got not, stuck in the middle. Not really interested. I'm, I'm interested in getting stuck in the middle. Yeah. Right. So, it's um, you know, this this I think what I'm hoping that the the folks who come to the conference kind of walk away with is that there is. You know, autoimmune diseases are systemic, just like Kahneman talks about with Sora. The entire organism is affected. There's no way around it. Just because you're seeing symptoms in a localized or somewhat localized way doesn't mean that it isn't a systemic issue, right? And so that means that any sort of reductionistic approach 
will be marginally helpful, mm. you know, at best suppressive, at worst. And so we've got to look at our paradigm in a way that addresses what has happened in the sort of bioevolutionary reality that we live in, right? So it's, you know, it's all... In the what? Bioevolutionary. I just made that up. <laughs> well, you clearly did. I did. No, I, I did. Let, let me just try and catch up. <laughs> the cogs are spinning. <laughs> I have no but idea I, now. No, I'm embarrassed. Bioevolution... The bioevolutionary reality, I think, is what I said. Right. Right, because we are a part of this whole ecosystem. Yes. You know? And so, like, the, 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 the thing everybody agrees on in autoimmunity is that genetics load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. Yeah. Right? And there are these studies done on identical twins where only one of them ends up with an autoimmune condition. Yeah. Right? And so it's... We've got to look at the another world. way of saying that is it's nature and nurture. It's both, mm. yeah, mm. and and the 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 you know additional confounding factor that we have is that the changes in the planet, you know, are affecting us. And when I say the planet, I don't mean just changes in climate, right? Like our zone for planting has changed two segments in the last however many years. We are 7B. We're 7B now. You know, we used to be 6. That means that there's a 10 degree difference. Well, that if you look at it and say, well, that means that the, you know, the, all the microorganisms are changing. That's one way to look at it, yeah. right? Um, I'm going to talk about the One Health concept. Oh, nice. Because yeah. I was wondering, yeah. and... and um, yeah. And it's, I was I was just going to say soil health, but that's just a part of it. Water, yeah, water, water soil, yeah. right? Everything, mm. and so and then you look at what are what is the impact of bioreductionism over time. In other words, that if medicine has been fixated on if you can isolate it, right, then you just find it and you kill it. Well, that's fine, and and it can be effective in some ways. But what is that doing to the larger ecosystem? Yeah. Right. So if we have killed different strains of bacteria without actually realizing how they are a part of a larger symbiotic, you know, um, expression of unity that makes the world go round. Well, if if what we've done is you know we've been able to focus on strep, you know, and I go through the history of of. Um, of pandas, because it didn't just turn up 20 years ago. There's a long history um, that actually goes back to Paracelsus and before, interestingly enough. Really? Yeah. Sydenham's Korea and before, you know, and well before. Anyway, but what we've done is by saying, okay, we have a war on strep, and, you know, we do have evidence that the eradication, not eradication, but the killing of strep prophylactically um, in people that are developing, you know, group A strep in their uh, laryngeal group A strep um, or pharyngeal, sorry, then they don't get um, rheumatic fever and then they don't wind up with the sequela. Well, that's fine, except that now we've got people who are just ending up with, you know, with pandas. And what is the treatment protocol? Put them on a course of antibiotics. So we're in these weird cycles where what worked 40, 50, 100 years ago, we can't keep doing the same thing because we've gotten ourselves backed into a corner where now we've got a much more systemic Damn. disease progress. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's, um, that's another part of it. It's good I have 16 hours. It is good. Um, if I go to a seminar conference, I want to come away with some 
some tips and tricks. Are folks going to learn some tips and tricks? That's where the knitting comes in and the haircutting. Solutions? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard it, it, It's hard to... It, it, it's, a, it's a mixed group. It's going to be a mixed crowd, right? Some professional homeopaths on down to mm. just folks who love homeopathy. And so um, I've really geared it toward the whole Megillah because at the end of the day... The tips and tricks are for the professionals and the reality of, you know, how we tackle the problems that are facing us today is not done in a reductionistic way. And that's where, you know, learning homeopathy for what it really represents is so important. You know, I've watched you for the last eight weeks. Nah, since I think you got onto this in we're in, in New Zealand summer. in the summer. No, in the summer. I well, started. I, okay, but or, I mean, it, we, yeah. you, you started really focusing on on prep for this and researching and stuff. Yeah, right. And um, it's it's interesting because every now and again you look at me and say, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night and we're thinking about dinner, and you say, what do people do at night? <laughs> Well, I know. <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is I've just noticed you, like, just going deep. Like, the last time I saw you doing this, you were finishing off your thesis. Yeah. And, you know, that was, I don't know how to paint that picture, folks, but, I mean, if you want to, if you want discipline, if you want to see a picture of discipline. No, you were. I mean, you are up at five. Yeah. You know, and you were doing the job and then going to work and, and, and putting out mm-hmm. for all the students and all the rest of it. So I love it. It's not, well it's actually not a that's the that's the point that I that I want to make actually. And so I don't know if you Thanks for that. Well the the uh, the life of the of the life of the researcher and academic. Yeah. You know, it's kinda it. and part time potter. <laughs> yeah. My my pottery is Really part-time at the moment. I'm afraid my plants in my studio are well, dead. Well, you got to get out there. I forgot to tell you something funny that happened yesterday. I, um, I went to um, one of our local coffee shops. Not the one we went to today. Not my favorite, but another one that I like because they have this, this coffee drink that's so good. Um, Is this the $10 one? Seven. It's $7.50. <laughs> It's a, that's obscene, right? It is obscene. I know. But this is a place that is coffee by day, whiskey by night. And they do, they have like this... This this coffee that's like roasted in a barrel, full, I don't know where whiskey had been or something, but it's delicious. And um, but then by the time you make it decaf and add oat milk, they add another dollar and you know whatever. But it's so good. Anyway, but I forgot to tell you, I was sitting there. They have, there's a bar, so and there are lots of people that are working there in the day, you know. So I like sidle up, have my bucket of eight dollar coffee, seven dollars fifty coffee. And it's so delicious. Anyway, and this man sits down next to me, and there's a woman around. He's on the corner of the bar, and a woman on the other corner who's also working away. He says to her, are you an academic? And she says, no, my life is not that exciting. I work in finance or in banking or whatever. And he said, oh, not that exciting at all. And then he looked at me, and he said, are you an academic? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And I said, but she makes a lot more money. And then we all had a laugh. It was like, your job may be less exciting, but you're probably rolling at it over there. Um, but, you know, That's and then fun. when he asked me what I what I did, it was like, how do you even begin? You know, how yeah. do you even? I just gave some off-the-cuff answer. I, um, but, yeah, I think, and broad brushstrokes. Oh, my gosh. In a, in a context like that. Yeah. And then he started in on, well, I'm retired, and I used to, and that's when I was like, I got uh, to get back to work. Uh, um, but it was super funny the way he was just like, looked, are you an academic? Are you an academic? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, this Researchers, was... academics. And I got another question for you. Mm. At what point is does one become influenced or an influencer? Oh, my gosh. Don't even. We are... Um, there's... Oh, I, I almost don't even want to... <laughs> We're having, just we're having a little question. bit of a dilemma. I don't, no, 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 no. I don't, don't know. Don't come I have to no it. idea. But we're having a little bit of a dilemma because we're there's how do you how do we help how do you get the word out about homeopathy and really help people to understand? It's like I mean, it is a powerful medical modality and and it doesn't come easily. Like it takes work to be able to do it. And yet the the influencer community, like if you're, you know, kind of hot and you've got a really great Instagram following and website that's like all the latest, you know, things, you can pretty much sell people on anything. And we're kind of not those people. And and what do we do, right? Like how do you create systemic change in a in a world of influencers? Well, that's why I'm asking about at what point. <laughs> Because there's got to no be a look. Because there's got to be an, a point. Let, look at us, for example. You should be. Well, I, th- I nominate you as the over sixties. <laughs> We're not over sixties. Well, the, the, the over sixties ladies love me, right? So I, I feel that, that that's my that's my that's market. That's your market. Right? You know. <laughs> oh my god! Hilarious. Oh, young man. Oh, young man. Yeah. You, you you've got a slightly younger crowd. I, I don't know. I don't know that I have a crowd. But I nominate you to become an influencer. <laughs> what do I do? I have no idea. We're going to need, you need tips and tricks because we're, that's just not been our thing. You should have seen me concreting outside today. You were concreting in the rain? Uh, yeah, actually, because the temperature is above 10 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Good. See, there you are. That's a tip and a trick. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, this was fun. I, I hope that in that this wasn't just like a teaser for the Florida thing, but the conversation about autoimmunity will get people to think about homeopathy a little bit differently. Ah. Love it. Yeah? Yeah. It was really interesting. Oh, good. No, I totally find it fascinating. I'm so deep in the weeds. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get back to it. All right. I, I've got well, look, eight um, PowerPoints to do oh, in two weeks. Yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. All the, 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 all the things are there. I have to add color and make sure everything's in the right order. You need to find out that the IT is working on the day. <gasps> oh, my gosh. The worst thing that happened. No, I mean, there are worse things that can happen, but I, I, love, I love art directing my PowerPoints. It gives me pleasure. And like as I'm going through and practicing a talk and working through it, I keep beautifying it so it satisfies my aesthetic mm. you know, needs while I'm right while I'm putting it together. And then I rolled up at a conference last year, plugged in my PowerPoint, and the and the colors were all different. Or Do you remember pur- that? Yeah, purpley. Everything was purpley. It was yeah. bizarre. Mm. It must have something to do with some RGB something or other that's well above my pay grade. It was a what? It was a solar flare. A solar flare. Mm. That's part of Hahnemann's telluric and meteoric influence. <laughs> <on>. Telluric <laughs> and meteoric influence. Yeah. Full right. moon, solar flare, something's going on. All right, my friends, um, uh, let's keep talking, but let's do it next time. Let's do it another time. All right. That's it for now. Ciao. All right, everybody. See ya. See ya. Home Foundation is hard at work. The practitioner-generated research network is like nothing the homeopathy community has seen before. Through the PGRN, 
we will be able to bring groundbreaking research to the world that will help protect homeopathy for generations to come. Learn more about how you can contribute to research at homefoundation.org. That's home, H-O-H-M, foundation.org. 